Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down, and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Episode 19. You didn't have to, but you did. August 7th, day three. Life can change in the blink of an eye. I walked to the corner of Archer's hospital room and sat in the little chair I had put there, about eight or ten feet from his bedside where he lay, and I closed my eyes. Everything was happening so fast. I tried to imagine the inky blackness, and I tried to think. I opened my eyes and reached for my phone and began looking at all the texts that I knew had been pouring in since the last time I checked a few hours ago. To give you a sense of what it was like, here are a few of those texts. I share them because I bet there are a number of you who may have experienced a similar thing if you were in an intensive care unit for a while, or a number of you who might be wondering what you can do to support any mom or parent or family member with their child in a trauma unit as a result of a catastrophic accident or some other debilitating condition. As Sue Wonder, the mother of another quadriplegic who survived, whom I met along the way of this journey, told me, you get inducted quickly into a club you never wanted to be a part of. I'd say the initiation is navigating crazy land. It is a crazy experience. Those of you who have been there, I know you know that. And you might be saying right now, exactly. Here is an excerpt of my interview with Sue Wonder. I am blessed to have met Sue Wonder. And I'd like to introduce you to this wonderful woman Sue works uh, with Cape May County Special Services in the school district as a teacher of the handicapped. She has been doing that work for 30 years. Sue is also the mother of Robbie Wonder, who's a C5 quadriplegic incomplete. And it is in that intersection that we met uh, because on August the 5th, we were complete strangers. Five years is a long way to go back from my memory these days, but uh, something like this, you don't forget, especially when it hits, it hits home like it did. Um, I got a phone call from a dear friend from Cape May letting me know that your son had been injured. And shortly after that, I got another phone call from Chad DeSatnick, who had also suffered an injury many years ago and runs a foundation that raises funds for... Uh, for life rolls on that helps people with spinal cord injuries. And I think my husband also got a couple of phone calls. So when it happened, I guess people knew right away that it would be helpful to connect us just because 
we could uh, just help help you comfort. You know, I, I knew right away that I wanted to I wanted to get in touch with you because I was familiar with the instant feeling of loneliness when this happened to my son. When when Robbie was injured, um, there's devastation, and you immediately end up in a place of where you're completely alone because you're the only one experiencing it and you're looking for somewhere to turn. You're looking for somewhere to go for, for answers, for a solution. You're looking for somewhere to go for comfort. I was inconsolable. I, I really lost my mind for a, a little bit of time there. I, I think I just didn't know what end was up. And my, the world was upside down. Yeah, I mean, when it's, when it's your child, you instantly, I mean, we have parents, we have siblings, we have significant others, but when it's your child, you, it's a whole different, it's a whole different thing. Um, I was unconsolable and I, I knew how painful that was. And that's why I wanted to reach out. And she did reach out to me. She didn't have to, but she did. And it was comforting, even amidst so many things happening all at the same time. As I scrolled through texts, there was a text from our daughter, Paula, forwarding to me a text from my sister, Elizabeth Sanborn, who had set up a page for Archer on caringbridge.org. I forwarded it to Billy. I wasn't sure what it was but I appreciated whatever she was doing. Oh, Paula sent me another text. Hi, Mama. Michael is here. We're at dinner. These casinos are crazy. I think I'm better. Oh, thank you, Lord. I'd been so worried about her. I hope she'd be better now that Michael had flown in. There was a text from our oldest son, Pete. Hi, Mom. I need to take Megan back to Baltimore. Please wake me up before you leave in the morning. I want to go back to the hospital with you. Okay. I had to remember Pete wouldn't be here tomorrow. Oh, I hope I remembered to wake him up too. Oh, there was one from our book publisher. Louise, we're sorry to hear about your son. Your book was on track last month to be a bestseller. Oh my gosh. With pre-sales but you're needed for appearances. Let us know your availability. Oh my gosh. I don't see how any of that can happen now. There was a text from my friend in West Virginia, Michael Alloy. Oh, he had sent a sweet picture as I looked at the stone statue in an archway. He said, Louise, this is a monument to Mary which sits behind my childhood church in Farmington. I visited and said a prayer for Archer and all of you. I have always loved this statue. The stonework is beautiful, and it had always been larger than life to me, like the Statue of Liberty. Take care, Michael. The picture took my breath away with its simplicity, and of the woman, Mary, the Virgin Mary, oh, whom I love so much, the mother of God. It was such a tenderness for him to share 
his boyhood place of prayer with me. I could envision that little boy on his knees with his hands folded in prayer. So dear. Oh, there was a text from a mediation client. He had no idea where I was. Hi, Louise. Please tell me how much I owe you for drafting the agreement and I'll drop off a check. Oh, boy. There was a text from my husband, Billy, back at the house. What? He said, do you know where that basketball net in front of our house came from? There's a guy here at the front door saying it's his. Oh, my Lord. Archer's friends and I thought some neighbors a couple blocks away had set out their old basketball net out for the trash, you know, the junk collection on the side of the street. It was by all their trash cans and on its side on collection day. (laughs) The boys and I had spied it earlier in the week. I'd gone up to the house and knocked on the door to inquire just to be sure, but no one was home. You know, the kind of basketball net I'm talking about with a large 10-foot steel pole on a huge, hard plastic black base. I think you fill it with probably like 100 gallons of water or something like that to anchor it down. It's big. Well, the boys had hauled it down the street with great effort, and I had a note penned on the door. Apparently, it was out for trash, but they changed their mind. Wanted to pack. Oh, my gosh. Stuff like this. I kid you not. I was living in two different worlds. Oh, there was a text from my youngest sister, Lillian Johnston, in Chicago. She's texted, I heard Liz left to go back. Who's scheduled to be with Archer tomorrow night? I'm online right now and can book a flight to Philly tomorrow and depart on Sunday. I can do the Saturday night shift and give you all some reprieve. All Atlantic City flights are booked already. I'll head back Sunday. Oh my gosh. No, 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 no. Please don't do that, Lil. It's too much. I texted her back. Oh, no need, sweetheart. We so appreciate it, though. Dewey and Pete? Have time until school starts August 31st. After that, we'll play it by ear. We will probably still be here. Reality was setting in. I continued my text. Billy and I will rotate Baltimore, and I think Will, that's one of my brothers, can be here some to help during the week. Paula can come on weekends It takes a team of two if we want to make sure someone is by Archer's side at all times, which I want, but that may change if he stabilizes and gets off the vent and lung machine. I'm touched, though. You're the best. You take care of those darling girls, and when we need help, I promise we'll reach out. There were going to be a lot of logistics. Dewey and Pete had said they would be here with me until they had to go back to college. I realized it was a real juggling act. Who would be here when? I felt we would have August covered, though. Everything was just happening so fast. I remember having this weird flash of a thought of how strange it was. My kids all have had summer jobs, some as early as when they were 14 years old. 
it was just strange, but kind of fortuitous of all summers that both Dewey and Pete happened to be available right now. Because, well, for Petey, after much discussion and planning this past spring, Pete had taken a road trip out west with his buddies once school was out and they had all graduated from college. Well, all but Pete, because as an engineer, he had the extra semester. But he and six of his buddies went for a month in June and July out west in a van we bought off Craigslist for $3,000. They had just returned, and Dewey had just finished a job and was looking to pick up some part-time work that might carry him over into the school year. It was just uncanny how it all worked out. And my sister Lillian, with little girls at home, she didn't even have to think about coming at all, all that way from Illinois to New Jersey but she did. It meant a lot. Oh, there was a text from my old grade school buddy, John Katilik in California. Always know how much I love you, Louise. Love will find a way. JK. Oh, JK. Thank you. We had been friends since first grade, hung out in the basement, listening to records smoked cigarettes in the park. To hear from him really warmed my heart. He didn't have to reach out and say what he did, but he did. It was so comforting. Oh, there was another text from one of my other high school friends, Tommy Teeter in Illinois. All my thoughts and prayers are with you, Louise. You know I love you. Oh, Tommy, that's so kind. I know you do. And you know I love you too. I still ache for the loss of your son. Oh, there was another text from Billy asking me, ask Archer if he knows where the Chromebook is in the Kate May house. The Chromebook, I wondered. You mean the one I confiscated from the boys when they were watching movies all night long? He then texted me that he wanted to bring it to the hospital and hook it up to the TV in the room so Archer could watch soccer games. I had this weird feeling pass over me like, oh, that's a really good idea. But I hadn't noticed a TV. You can get TV with a Chromebook? And then another weird feeling I had was like, Billy, honey, you don't understand. Archer can't answer you. And I don't think Archer will be watching soccer games on TV in here. I don't know. I looked at Archer lying there. I can't explain it exactly. All the thoughts I had were just jumbled and they were all so different all at the same time or in rapid fire. Like, oh, that's so nice, or, oh, what are you talking about? Or, oh, no, please don't do that. Or, why did you do that? Or, what does that mean? Or, where do I go to find out about that? I just reminded myself, breathe, 
it's okay. Just let all those thoughts be side by side. My world was upside down. Just as I was reminding myself to breathe, I had a text from my friend in Ohio, Kurt Spear, whom I studied the Enneagram with for many years. Wow, is that ever serendipitous. He texted, Louise, I wanted you to know that I love you and I'm thinking about you and Billy and all the kids and especially Archer. You're in my thoughts and prayers. Gosh, that meant a lot. My professional friend who has helped me so much with breath work and understanding myself through the Enneagram. It sort of took my breath away. He didn't have to reach out or tell me he loved me, but he did. It was comforting. I could also see that the word was traveling quickly. I then had another text from Billy. Oh, boy. Louise, I went around the house looking for the Chromebook and found, oh, my gosh, pot and paraphernalia in Archer's room. I confiscated it. What do you want me to do with it? Oh, my God. I couldn't believe it. I wanted him to throw it away. And I also had this weird, <laughs> weird feeling like, no, it's Archer's. We should keep it. I texted Billy, what is it? He texted me back, a little Altoids box with rolling papers and a little pot. I felt the tears in my eyes welling up again. It was so strange. I mean, Archer was about to be a junior in high school, and he knows I don't approve of smoking pot. But I also felt like we were invading Archer's personal space. I mean, every kid needs some personal space, you know. But I also wanted Billy to confiscate it. Just get rid of it. Throw it all away. I also didn't want him to because what flashed in my mind was the thought that Archer was able to use his hands to roll that little bit of pot in a rolling paper. He used his hands. I wanted to keep it. I wanted to keep it all and like enshrine it or something. That is so freaking crazy. Oh, God, please help me. There was another text from Wayne Ruth, a friend of mine in the Order of Malta, a spiritual and service group I'm in. He said, Dear Louise and Bill, Bishop Ricken led prayers for Archer today at Mass at the Shrine of the Sacred Heart. We are praying for Archer and your family. You are so dear to us. Much love and prayers, Wayne and your Malta family. 
Oh my God, a bishop praying for Archer. Oh my golly, thank you. That reminded me, I needed to text my other Malta friend, Loretto Kane, to tell her the Archbishop Lori from the Baltimore Diocese had called me. It's true. He called me today. What an honor. I can't believe the Archbishop called me. He has so many in his big flock to attend to. Gosh, he didn't have to call, but he did. It was good to hear his voice and hear him specifically ask about Archer and that he would be saying a mass for him. I was amazed at how quickly the word was traveling. I also felt this stinging in my eyes. My tears, they actually just stung like salt in my eyes. From what people were texting, I could tell it was really bad. I guess this is really bad. And my friends know it. I looked at our church, barely breathing, all wired up, hooked up, tubed up. I had this sort of weird kind of split feeling like, like my world was split. Sort of like all these good people texting, calling, were in one life. And I was here in this hospital with Archer in a different life. It was as if things were sort of happening out there someplace that had been my world too. But in here, it was so different. I wanted them to know what it was like and what was happening in here. I think it was maybe around this time that I started formulating almost unconsciously that I would keep them all apprised. It was so unconscious, but it was also so there in that moment as I look back. I so needed all my friends. I didn't feel lonely because I knew I was loved. And I knew God was with me. But I also knew I couldn't do this alone. I really, really needed others to help me. Like I sent out a message, you know, that we were in trouble and to please pray. And they were responding that they were praying. But I tell you this only now as part of the look back, as I wasn't fully aware then, as I am now, of what those relationships with people I cared so much about would mean to me and to my family. I was toggling then between the reality in that hospital room and the rest of my life out there. 
What I do remember vividly, what was more conscious, because I do remember thinking, what's wrong with me? On one hand, and feeling very, very clear on the other. It was a momentary feeling that day that I didn't really care that much about anything like a basketball hoop or getting paid by a client or pre-sales on our being relational book. What I cared about was being with Archer and his survival. And I needed love and prayers for that. There were dozens and dozens of texts as I scrolled through my phone. It was extraordinary. They were from grade school friends and high school friends, college friends, my sorority sisters, professional friends, my friends from my children's friends, my women's business group friends, and friends from the beach friends wanting to bring food, and many who wanted the address of the hospital. Oh, I so needed them, and I hoped they would stay connected to us. I began copying and pasting the Atlanta Care Hospital address, and as I did so, I hoped Paula would get back to folks about food as I had no idea what was needed at home, and I knew she would. I was so grateful. You know, I'd like to focus briefly on boys and men. I was so moved by all my friends' kindnesses, but I was really touched. I'm not sure why exactly by the words of my male friends. Maybe because I have so many sons. Maybe because... All my life, I have had male friends, good friends. But this day in the hospital, it was the first I was experiencing my male friends being so tender. They were telling me directly that they loved me. They called me by name, too. It was special. It was not romantic love. It felt like deep love, mature love. Those were friendships that meant a lot to me over the years. Over the years of all the chapters of my life, actually. And I was really moved. It took me by surprise, really. Rather unexpected. When is it that boys become men? It was already evening. I don't know where this day had gone, but I was grateful it was now nighttime and on its way to a close. I know I had sent a family update text earlier covering yesterday and last night. You know, Archer's left lung collapsing. They're paddling on him vigorously turning him, trying all kinds of things to drain or inflate his lungs through the night, and how he then stabilized, and then how both of his lungs collapsed. 
I honestly do not see how people who work here can live through so many highs and lows in one night repeatedly. I think I had told my family that efforts to revive Archer had not been enough, though, to get enough oxygen saturation. At least that was my understanding. Regardless of all the work the ventilator was doing for him. I don't understand that yet. Why the lung machine can't breathe for him until he heals. I think I told them about the surgery to insert the two large chest tubes. I looked around the artwork that had been sent hanging over Archer's bed and the cards that had been arriving. He didn't have much chance to see anything really, unless it was right over his head as he was in one position sort of looking up on his back or when he was propped on his side just looking straight ahead. I wondered again how he could stand it in that brace and not moving. I was so grateful for our family and for friends and for long machines and for all those medical men last night who paddled Archer. What a horrible job. I don't know. I guess they were saving a life. So they might view it as a good job. I don't know. What I do know is that it had been a very full day of waiting. And I do feel Archer has turned a little corner just in the last couple of hours. And I'm so grateful. Thank you, God. The medical staff is still very serious. And I understood that. So much has happened today. I couldn't begin to list it all, so I texted out to my family and friends. Storm heaven. We need it. End of day three. Please keep praying. We need Archer's lungs to be strong enough to get off the ventilator and lung machine. That is our prayer for now. And a prayer for a miracle as well. He still has no ability in his hands and below his chest. It's hard to take it all in, the gravity of it. I know God has a plan. Please don't stop any prayer, even if just a passing good thought. Sending love. I felt hopeful. I closed my eyes again to try to think as Archer continued to sleep. Everyone had left to go home except me. Oh, my mom would have corrected me to say, except I. I didn't mind being there alone. Billy would be coming soon. I relished the quiet space alone. I felt comforted by friends, and I knew God was with us. I did not feel alone in any way. I was scared, though. But I knew I was not alone. I thought about all the texts. I reached out, and they were reaching back. It was extraordinary. I noticed how the quiet time in the ICU seemed to start around 7 or 8. At least, I think that was the time it had started last night, too. I was also aware 
of a whole new crew of nurses beginning to come into Archer's room. I didn't recognize any of them so far. Would this mean we'd have different nurses every day? I was too tired to ask them to sign my notebook. I thought again about Archer's night last night. Please, please, Lord, please help Archer have a better night tonight. My thoughts were a little buzzy. All I could hear in my head were more of Dr. Radcliffe's words that he had told us yesterday. That our medical insurance would run out, he said, and we would need to file for disability. What did he mean, disability? When I had asked him, he said he didn't know of any of the details, but that quadriplegics get disability, and that helps them to live. I was stunned. I know he was trying to be helpful. I could see that in his dark brown eyes. I think he saw my horror, as I could not imagine that was Archer's path. No, he'll have a life and a job, right? But Dr. Radcliffe had said it was hard to know. I could also tell in a really, really weird kind of way that Dr. Radcliffe was sort of energized by the fact that we were having our family meeting and getting to know one another, even though it was harsh. And yet he was also excited in his voice. It seemed to come from an ability to tell us things that he thought would help us, like he wanted to help us as much as he could. I later learned how very unusual it was for him to have such a meeting with a family other than the one right after surgery to let them know the surgical outcome. I got the impression from him yesterday when he came back that it was as if a relationship with his patients in his line of work was not something that happened too often. I guess it's that way as I began to think about it for a lot of people who work in crisis situations like trauma surgeons, like emergency medical services personnel, and people like firefighters. I felt sort of bad for all of them, swooping in as they do so skillfully, even magnanimously and courageously, trying to save a life, but then exiting, never really knowing what happens to the person or what happens to the family. I don't know. Maybe they like it sort of clinically distanced. Maybe they need it sort of clinically distanced. After all, all that adrenaline pumping, I don't know. But I wondered what it would be like for them if they did have some relationship with the people they helped. I felt that's what Dr. Radcliffe wanted. I know that's what I wanted with him. Dr. Radcliffe, he didn't have to come back, but he did. Thank you, Dr. Radcliffe. I could tell he cared. I was sorry it was the last of our meetings. I pondered other things Dr. Radcliffe had said. 
that we would know in 24 to 48 hours whether Archer would breathe on his own. Those were his words. But Archer got pneumonia. Oh, that pneumonia. How do you even get pneumonia in a hospital? I looked at the big clock. It'd been over 48 hours now that we had been there. Oh, Lord. I felt the gravity of it all. Please, God, please. We need Archer to breathe. I felt helpless because I didn't know how to help Archer to breathe. What could I do? I actually didn't understand the full gravity of what it all really meant either. Weren't they supposed to be doing something? I did know that something not good had happened. I mean, obviously, Archer broke his neck. But then the pneumonia, which Dr. Radcliffe has told us would be horrible if that happened. Those were his words. Well, it did happen. But then Archer got a collapsed lung. No one said anything about that. Could they have anticipated that? As I thought about it, I guess he really was not going in a good direction. But it was just all happening so fast. I felt that every hour, every moment mattered. And it was true. I didn't fully appreciate what it meant when, in his condition, both lungs collapsed. You know, not having any medical background and not knowing what a collapsed lung even meant. I mean, have you ever heard of a lung collapsing? Does it happen very often? Or two collapsing? Do you understand how that happens? I mean, how does a person puncture a lung when he hits his head? It was still puzzling to me. And how do you get two collapsed lungs? I just didn't understand. How bad was it? Is that why there was no time for any of those trauma nurses to talk and be nice as they work so diligently under stress? Were the stakes that high? Were we in high stakes? Even worse than a broken neck and being paralyzed? I didn't understand. But I was beginning to piece some things together. One of the nurses this morning had said to me, Heard you had a tough night. He must be a strong boy to have overcome that. As I look back, as part of what I have learned five years later, is that what she was saying to me was trauma nurse talk for you almost lost your son last night. I guess so. You know, she could have kept on with her business and not said a word to me about it. She didn't have to, but she did. Thank you, Atlanta Care nurse. I could tell you cared about his life. I wish I knew your name. I remember the impact it had on me as I began mulling it all over in my mind. I guess Archer had been close to dying last night. I really wasn't fully appreciative of that. Hard as this place was to be, 
I was grateful for his medical care. I wondered to myself, does it mean something else when medical staff says a patient is strong after the patient survives something? I suppose they might mean the patient has a strong body. Well, Archer did. All six feet, two inches of his tall, athletic, 17-year-old body. I supposed they might also mean the patient has a strong will. And that might be true also. When Archer put his mind to something, it usually got done. And usually well. The more I worked the thoughts around in my head, the more I thought that the strength they spoke of might not be any one of those things, though, or it might be both of those things and something else. Maybe some of those nurses knew a truth that was not part of their classroom medical training. I bet, yeah, I bet at least some of them did, like that kind nurse this morning. The truth is this, when a patient survives something in a hospital that is life or death because they quote unquote are strong, what that really means is they have a strong desire to live. And that desire is born from the heart. It's not just the physical organ, but something that happens between people. It creates an emotional connection. What was unfolding for me as I sat there reflecting for a moment on the very long day was how intelligent Archer's heart was and that it was figuring things out through connection. Every text, every kind word read to him at his bedside. And he was responding to that human recognition because of his strong desire to live. And maybe it was increasing his desire to live. Here are a few other things that happened that afternoon that I will never forget. Remember that nurse I think I told you about before, Laura, the one who made Archer's vital scores change? Well, I want to tell you how that all happened because it was this day that she came in to see Archer and it was remarkable. Here's what went down, as they say. I was dabbing Archer's lips with a wet washcloth. I had decided there was no way that could hurt him, and it would just be temporary anyway, until I got an answer back from the staff about giving Archer some real water in some other way. Nurse Laura entered Archer's room. We had never seen her before. She came in and went right to Archer. Not to his arms, not to his bandages, not to all the tubes in his chest, in his nose, and his mouth, but to Archer, to his face. She smiled and said, Hi, Archer. I'm Laura. 
She treated him as a human being, not just a very injured body. She said she had come from another department on another floor in the hospital because another nurse named Josie McGinnity had told her about Archer. Josie McGinnity. It sounded sort of familiar to me. It was so vague, but I think it may have been the name of a woman. I just remembered for the first time. Yeah, a woman coming to find me yesterday and all that chaos. Yeah, she was like a little angel, but I was so confused. It was in the trauma intake room at the beginning. It was, She was there for just a short period of time. She had wanted to tell me something, but I didn't know who she was or what her role was. Yes, I think that's who she said she was. Josie McGinnity. Yes, I believe that's what she said. I think she said... She worked at Atlantic Care too, and that she knew us. She knew us? Did that really happen? Who was she? Did I dream that? Was as if it had not really happened at all with all the commotion. But I think it did. I think she told me her name was Josie. I do remember that, I think. I was just so fuzzy yesterday to put any of this together. But I do remember her, I think. Gosh, she didn't have to come to me, but she did. What a kindness. And now, this nurse, Laura? said she was sent by Josie? Now that I remember like it was yesterday. Nurse Laura was young. I'd say in her early 20s, youthful looking, almost like a peer to Archer. And she had a beachy way about her, tanned, very natural, athletic looking. Her straight, silky hair was pulled back neatly in a simple ponytail. She was quick with a smile. And as she went about her check of Archer, there was an ease in the room created by her presence. That alone was remarkable, as she was the first to look at Archer as a human being, a boy, a boy becoming a man. As she talked with Archer, she began checking his temperature and his other vitals. Well, we had been monitoring Archer's vitals. <laughs> vitals. Isn't that funny how I say that now? Like vitals, like it's an everyday household word or something. Well, it is. Well, I was learning then, you know, and you know what I mean. Vitals. I was learning the lingo, his heart rate, his oxygen saturation rate, his pulse, his blood pressure. Well, I say we were monitoring his vitals, but it was the medical personnel taking turns out in the donut hole remotely who kept an eye on the computers out there 
that were connected to all the monitors in here that were connected to all the machines connected to Archer's body. And there were a lot of them monitoring Archer's physiology remotely. I wanted to monitor it too in person. I still didn't understand what all the numbers meant and what all the machines actually did, but I was starting to get an idea. The heart rate machine literally had both a green line that pulsed with beats, looked like the stock market in its sharp peaks and valleys as it constantly moved across the screen. And there was another line that danced as well that was red. And I noticed this monitor made a certain noise, presumably until something went wrong and it would alarm, at least I think that's how it worked. I became familiar with that noise. Archer had a strong heart, but it had a slow beat I was learning. As nurse Laura took his temperature, she looked up at Archer's heart monitor and said aloud, well, your heart is strong, Archer. As I watched Archer's eyes light up. She didn't have to say that, but she did. It was nice. Archer couldn't see any of his monitors, so it was also helpful. Archer's pulse was on another display, and it was a steady yellow up and down. It was another line. His blood pressure, that was on another monitor, and it flashed the numbers constantly. I noticed it had a different noise. All these machines had a different noise. I was trying to get to know those noises because when something went wrong, an alarm went off. Well, Archer tended to run low, and so do I. Then there was a different monitor that had a number of numbers and digital information blinking on it. I think that was the one to closely monitor Archer's oxygen saturation related to his breathing. It was also connected to another machine that artificially was breathing for him. So far, Archer's saturation was not what they found acceptable. And I was learning what number to look for and where to look for it. That monitor also made a noise, but it was different from all the other noises until something went wrong, which it had, and it alarmed in a different sound than the other alarms. And I won't forget that sound. Some of the displays had information that overlapped, I think. But I didn't understand that yet. Nurse Laura began to adjust some things, talking with Archer all the while. That honestly had not happened with any of the trauma nursing staff. At least, not yet, since we had been there. I mean, for the first time, the very first time that I had observed, a nurse engaged Archer in conversation. She wasn't just saying what she was doing. She was talking with him. I loved that about her. I did. In fact, I loved her in that moment for being so kind and human to our son. As I look back, I don't want the Atlanta care trauma nurses to think I didn't like them. It was not that way at all. I didn't want anybody at Atlanta Care to think I didn't like them. I respected them 
and I respected their work immensely. And today, I'm acutely aware of how tough they have to be to work in a trauma unit every day, day after day, surrounded by and having to look at horrendous, real physical trauma to human beings and to the body and what is endured by patients and they're being bombarded by families having reactions to that trauma and being numbed out too and numbed out to their lives having been turned upside down. And I imagine that many nurses have numbed themselves out over time as well, numbing out the pain of the patients and the suffering of the patient's families because they might feel they have to for their own survival in order to perform. It's crossed my mind. Their minds and hearts and nervous systems can only take so much. I mean, that's my thinking now. I wonder what nurses think about that, if that's accurate or not, or even a little bit closer to the truth. Well, for me then, as I watched the interaction between Laura and Archer, I was not thinking about the nurse's experience. I was thinking about Archer's. And I expected kindness from nurses. And I think it is part of what was so jarring to me in those first few days that was so lacking. But again, now I understand. He was in bad shape and they were administering to the medical care he needed for his body. But doesn't medical care also include human emotional connection with the human spirit? I think it does. So back to Laura, the nurse who is not a trauma nurse who came from another unit in the hospital. It was a breath of fresh air. And this is what then happened. <laughs> it was remarkable. You know, she didn't have to have that conversation with Archer, but she did. So after taking his vitals, she paused, rested a hand on the side of his bed, leaned in a little bit, looked right at Archer like a human being and said, and I will never forget it. Archer, I hear you are from Cape May. I watched Archer's eyes light up and he nodded. Well, not really. He blinked. But it was a very intentional double blink of his eyes. And yes, you could tell he was smiling, even though he had no ability to smile, really. She said, I am too. You could feel Archer smiling as he beamed his light through his eyes and all over his face back at her. And she began to tell him that when she was around his age in college, she worked summers at the beach club. She asked him if he had ever heard of the beach club. Well, she said that I couldn't help myself in that moment. I blurted out, oh my gosh, that's where Archer works now. He's the cook. And she said, I know. Josie told me. 
Josie's Harry back sister, Archer. And I hear you are an amazing cook. Archer's eyes danced. She then exclaimed, you must be pretty fast and pretty talented with all those members. I was a food runner and they were in fast conversation. She's speaking and he listening attentively and actively with his eyes. It was incredible. There was so much humanity in their interaction. And there was measurable physical reaction on Archer's monitors. I kid you not. Archer's heartbeat and oxygen saturation rate both increased. I sat across the room and just watched this magical moment. She continued to talk about the beach club and she laughed. Oh, it was so nice to hear a genuine laugh. I got up to fetch the ABC board in case Archer wanted to say anything back. But as I approached his bed, I could tell he was very contented just listening to her as she told a couple stories when she was a bit younger. Stories I could also tell he resonated with as they shared their common love of the beach club and Kate May. She told Archer it was the best job she had ever had. I moved away again to give them a chance to talk and was over by the hospital room sink when she then approached me to wash her hands and wash up. And that was when she said to me, <laughs> sort of giggling, it was what I would told you before. I know I would told you before. She said, did you notice Archer's vitals improved when we talked about the beach club? Oh, yes, I had indeed. And she whispered to me, I'll try to come back and talk with him more about the beach club as she exited the room. Oh, yes, I so hoped she would. She was a little nurse angel. Archer loved the beach club. He really did. I mean, he loved his job in the kitchen at the beach club, and he loved his friends there. I hoped this kind interaction with the nurse angel had given him a few moments of reprieve. I think it did. She didn't have to stay and engage with him too long. She didn't have to stay and engage with him at all. But she did. It provided a moment of reverie. It was as if their souls knew each other and were meeting again after a long time. It really was. I think Archer could have closed his eyes and just listened forever and felt that resonance with her. Perhaps interactions like those are the pathway to healing and could be included in medical school and nursing school training. Simple storytelling of common interests. We never saw her again, but I still hope to meet up with her someday and with Atlanta Care nurse Josie McGinnity. I want to thank them both and especially Josie, for sending Laura. It was quiet again in the room, and I looked over at my young adult son, 
and felt a flash of his maturing capacity to feel something deeply. Indeed, he had his eyes closed and a look on his face of contentment as if he were savoring what she had shared. In all the misery, what a kindness it is to engage the imagination, especially of shared history. That's what stories are all about. I was so grateful. Neither of those Atlantic Care nurses had to do what they did, but they did. Thank you, nurse angels. Even so, incapacitated and debilitated, I knew Archer had a capacity to feel deeply. As a mom of five kids, four of whom are boys, I'll be the first to tell you that boys have incredible capacity to be tender. We can really see it when they're young, and then they start to grow up. I always encouraged our sons to be kind and tender, especially to each other. I'd tell them they were going to be each other's longest archive, knowing each other longer than any other person they will ever have in their lives. They'd groan, oh, mom, but it's true. And Paula, too, was included in that, of course. But, you know, with boys, if you're not on your toes with eyes in the back of your heads when your sons are young, they can pulverize each other. I remember many a time with all four of my sons, no exceptions, I would have to intervene in their more than boisterous, turning violent interactions to grab an arm midair to have them think about what they were just about to do to their brother. And I'd always ask them in this mid-air moment, you know, if I let go, that arm would go flying forward and hit the heck out of that younger, usually younger, but not always, brother. And I'd say, would you want someone to do that to you? And I'd say, still clutching their outstretched arm, when you get hit by someone, it hurts. I don't think that's what you want to do to your brother. And every single time, every time, I could begin to lower whoever's arm it was because the resistance would melt. And I'd say, still holding the lowered arm, he loves you. And you love him. And then there would be a moment of nothing. And then they'd run and play or do whatever else it is that boys do when they're being boys together. Oh, yes. I had that little interruption on many occasions when my boys were growing up. And I think they got it for the most part. I do. As a parent, I didn't have to do that, but I did. I hope it was a kindness to them and to society. Strong in body and big in heart. Athletes, but not idiots. A boy and a man's body 
can hurt someone. But you know, boys have to be taught this over and over when they're young. Even if you have to step in and stop them midair. Those hormones are real. I think it's a kind thing to stop them midair. Because boys and men are so capable of being so strong and so tender. I thought about those other male friends of mine throughout my life, and I bet their moms taught them the same lessons because they are all strong men capable of being tender from their hearts. I hope as high schoolers and then young adults that my boys are, I hope they've attracted like-minded humanitarian friends. Just as I was thinking about this, I glanced at my phone again and I saw I had more messages. Of course, probably from that update I just sent. Oh, yes, there was a text from James, James Schmucker, Archer's Cape May friend. I like James very much, even though I didn't know him all that well because he was a quiet young man. I was anxious to talk with him. He had been with Archer on the beach and was on duty as a lifeguard when it all happened. Archer and James had spent their entire summer together, working at the beach club and palling around in their off hours, mostly at our house, and then on the boardwalk. He texted. Hi, Mrs. Sempt. It's James Schmucker. I wanted to see how Archer is doing. Maybe I can come visit him soon. I got off the phone a little bit ago with Mrs. G, and she told me that some of the physicians wanted to get some information from me to piece together the puzzle, and I would like to help as much as possible. I immediately texted back, James, we are much indebted to you. Thank you. Yes, please come as soon as you can. Archer would love to see you. Here's an update and I pasted in the family update from the night before. It was very tender what James texted back. Archer has been in my prayers. I'm happy to hear he's communicating. That's awesome. That really moved me. And he said he'd pray for Archer. I realized, too, what a relief it must be for Archer's friends who are on the scene to know he is alive and responsive. There was a text from my sister, Elizabeth Sanborn, who had left the hospital earlier and was already back in Maryland. She texted me about her son, my nephew, Archer's cousin, Jack. She said, you and Archer are constantly on my mind, constantly. Jack found out today as he was out of town. It was so hard to tell him. He is devastated too. He immediately said, when can I see him? So interesting how different kids react. After last night, I thought maybe Arch just needs to rest, but let me know. Also, what did you decide regarding Dutch? I texted her back. While I know it's a long journey, it's very clear to me 
from the friends that came that Archer needs his peers and buddies, perhaps more and certainly as much as he needs us. He just lights up. It might be why he is now stable and peaceful. All his vitals in the monitors change when visitors come. So while it is far and not expected, it would be wonderful. I'm touched that he said that, Liz. Next weekend, I'm sure Paula will be returning to Cape May from Baltimore and then back to Baltimore Sunday if he wants to catch a ride with her. Pete and Dewey will be here until school starts August 31st. They could all go to the beach, you know, after spending time with Archer. Would be nice for our boys. FYI. We know we need to at all times in an ideal world for the system we worked out, as I don't want Archer to not have someone in the room ever until he is stable. And honestly, when that day comes, we'll be out of here to Baltimore. I hope. So I think we're covered because it's August. Dutch starts school August 23rd. Elizabeth replied to me. We'll come soon, maybe even this Sunday. Oh, there was a text from another one of Archer's high school buddies, his lacrosse buddy, Basil Aburn. Hey, Mrs. Sempt, I've been texting Dewey and just wanted to let you know I love Archer. And some of us were hoping to visit next week. I love Archer. Wow. That was powerful. There had been a falling out of the boys with Archer when they had all been part of a high school party at Basil's a number of months prior. And I thought it had gotten out of hand and I had grounded Archer for it. I really melted when I heard from Basil and even more so when he told me he loved Archer. There was another from Jennings Schweitzer, another high school friend also part of Archer's crowd, Mrs. Sempt. I love Archer as if he is my brother and I would do anything for him. I'm going to come visit. I love you all. I was moved. These boys, mm, they were hurting badly. They were all strong athletes, all popular kids, had the world on a string, as they say. And I could tell they were crushed. They needed connection. I could feel it over their texts. I knew they needed to be with Archer as much as Archer needed to be with them. I read a couple of these texts to Archer. Sure enough, I kid you not, his heartbeat on the monitor got a little faster. It was remarkable. It's the strong desire of the heart to connect. Oh, yes, we are all so interconnected. And you know, it was as if Archer's heart was sending out a message to God's universe and his friends were responding. It really was like that. As I looked down at my phone and there was a text from yet another friend an old grade school friend of Archer's, Mike Detterman. You've met Mike before as part of our look back when I interviewed him. He's a senior in college now. Here's an excerpt. 
there was so much uncertainty then. A lot of uncertainty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking? I think uncertainty was definitely part of when I first found out, when I first had heard that he was in an accident, um, and I was obviously uncertain what was happening or anything. And uh, I'm trying to think about when I texted you, and I think I just wanted to tell you that I was thinking about you, and because I knew how uncertain you would be if I was that uncertain. Mm. It's a very mature thinking track. Thank you, Michael Detterman. Yes, these boys were growing up and I imagined Archer's injury would be very indelible. You know how it is when the world is your oyster when you're young and healthy and virulent and you never imagined something so horrible as full body paralysis could ever happen to you or to someone you loved and relied upon for your friendship, your fun, your shared memories of youth. I imagine it was something like that. And there was a text from one of Archer's other friends, Luke Granger. Oh, the night was getting late. Luke was a middle school and high school friend of ours from our neighborhood and through sports, even though he and Archer attended different schools. I had a little flutter of gratitude as I realized I had so many of these boys' cell phone numbers because I had known them growing up over the years. As I sat in the hospital room, carrying that thought, I read Luke's text. He was always a thoughtful kid, right in age between Archer and Dewey. Hi, Mrs. Semft. I'm thinking and praying so much for Archer and all of you. I've been texting Dewey a lot, maybe a bit too much. I feel sick to my stomach when I think of Archer's amazing, funny, and empathic personality stuck in that hospital bed. All I want to do is give him a huge hug. I hope he knows that everywhere I go, People are constantly asking me about him. All of the Gilman school kids and the Roland Park community is rooting for him. I just wanted to make sure he knows how much I'm thinking and care about him. I'm also planning to come up to visit. I'd be more than happy to come up once or twice a week if he's up for it. I texted Luke. Yes, come. It helps his spirits tremendously. You are so dear, Luke. Here's the update I just sent to my family, and I pasted in the family update. Luke responded, Ugh, that's so hard to hear, but also promising with the feeling in his foot. Archer is so strong. I think I'll come up Sunday with my dad. I texted, he would love that. I texted Luke back again a few minutes later. I read your text to Archer Luke. He took it in deeply. 
smiled very peacefully. I asked if he wanted me to read others, and he closed his eyes and nodded no. Yours was plenty for now. Thank you, Luke. You are a dear friend. Luke texted me. He would do the same for me. He's an amazing guy. It was clear to me that what Archer needed more than anything was emotional connection, and especially with those he had shared history with. I had seen it in his eyes when my sister Elizabeth came. I saw it in his eyes when Dewey and Pete read him his text, and then when they sat reading bedside to him from his library book. And I saw it in his eyes again with that nurse angel, Laura. Yes, Archer needed to see people he loved and people with whom he had shared memories. I texted my friend Lisa O'Donovan, who also has a son who was a friend of Archer's, even though at different schools, who had sent Archer one of those texts the boys had read on Archer's phone. I texted her, Archer loves the messages. He adores his friends, and I think it's the love of his friends that will pull him through. I did realize the reality of it all. There were no lollipops and butterflies. The side-by-side facts were stark. He was paralyzed. My son had lost his arms and hands and legs in a way that was not going to repair anytime soon. And our son felt loved. He was loved. And I think that made him feel hopeful. And we were hopeful. And I knew a very primitive truth in the stark reality that our hope would keep him hopeful. Yeah, I knew in that moment at the end of day three, as I texted my Baltimore friend, Ellie Kenny, Archer will need the support of his friends and I will need the support of mine for many years. I dabbed a couple little sprinkles of Lord's water on Archer's lips from the bottle of the sacred healing waters from France that had just arrived from my friend Harry Johnson who had FedExed me and had been delivered to our room. He didn't have to do that, but he did. Thank you, Harry. I relaxed for a moment taking in this long day. I texted my sister Elizabeth. Was a long day. Peaceful now. First time. The ventilator nurse commented, it's 100% different from last night's, quote, touch and go, end quote, as she called it. Thank you, God. I hope the lungs repair soon. Your snacks are ooh la la, and since they're my favorite, I've already eaten about all of them, and so I'll be on the five-meal-a-day plan if I'm not careful. The outpouring of love is more than I could have imagined. Know that you are very loved. Thank you. It was getting late. I realized it was Friday night. I closed my eyes and prayed. Please, Lord, 
look out for all these boys. I pictured each of Archer's friends and I sent out my prayer. Yes, boys, please, please come. All of you soon, come soon, whenever you can, please come. It was 11.29 p.m. My phone lit up with a text from Billy. See you outside by the garage in five minutes or so. Dewey is driving. Life can change in the blink of an eye. If you ever want to make a difference in someone's life when they are in an intensive care unit and the chips are down, send them a very personal, intimate text message. They really lift the heart. When was the last time you told a friend directly as a standalone statement, I love you? It's a powerful thing to say to a brother or a sister. It's powerful to say when we are young. It's powerful to say as we grow older. Yes, it takes strength to be vulnerable. Are we strong enough to really love? We might be strong in body. We might be strong in intellect. We might be strong because we have a needed and expert skill set. We also might be strong because we are tough and have endured and made it through life. But are we strong enough to be vulnerable, to be tender, to engage with each other human to human, to be compassionate even when we want or are told or taught to distance ourselves? I think we are. I think you are. Yes. That is perhaps our highest calling in life, to be compassionate and to love others. And to be compassionate and to love ourselves. Do you love yourself? You are never alone. And let us help boys become strong men, capable of tenderness doing what is right, and compassion for others, starting with themselves. God gave us all these amazing emotions for a reason, so we can be interconnected and lift each other up. And in doing so, we lift up humanity to higher elevations for what is possible. Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Please subscribe on our site, blinkofaneyepodcast.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen. If you have a story to share, please contact Louise Phipps Senf directly. Louise at blink of an eye She would love to hear from you. 